The ancient Greek myth of Daedalus and Icarus tells the fascinating tale of a daring attempt to gain freedom. The story centers around Daedalus, who had worked on the island of Crete, designing the famed labyrinth to keep the terrible Minotaur confined. The king wanted to hide the Minotaur's existence from the general population, and so imprisoned Daedalus and Icarus. A genius inventor, Daedalus began devising a path to freedom. He gathered feathers from passing birds and sticking them together fashioned two sets of wings, one for himself and one for his son Icarus. The moment to escape arrived, but before taking flight, Daedalus gave Icarus a stern warning not to fly too low near the water nor too high in the sun. He instructed Icarus to follow his path carefully. They began their flight, making way for the nearby shore. Icarus beamed with excitement from the thrill of flight. He weaved this way and that and soared into the sky. As Icarus ascended, his pleasure from flight blinded him to the fact that the hot sun was melting the wax holding his wings together. By the time he noticed, his power of flight had vanished and he was descending rapidly to the sea below where he would drown. That which was supposed to set him free imprisoned him even further. Sadly, there are many parallels between this story and that of mankind. How many inventions, movements, and peace treaties have come along which have promised to set us free, yet the end result is the opposite? To put it another way, in terms of solving the world's most basic problems, how often does it feel as though we take three steps forward only to fall five more back? What is holding the world back from achieving lasting peace and prosperity, from ending pain, suffering, poverty, and disease? There is a root cause which results in negative consequences. It is the same factor which led Icarus to ignore his father and soar to his heart's delight. It has resulted in our world being a world held captive. In many significant ways, mankind has come a long way since civilization began. We've explored much of the Earth's surface, expanded our travels to space, putting a man on the moon, and sent objects hurtling to the outer reaches of our solar system. We've traversed the oceans, eradicated diseases such as smallpox, established methods of communicating with people on the opposite side of the Earth instantaneously, and have mapped the human genome. Mankind has solved problems that we did not even know existed generations ago. While many of our innovations have been hailed as having the potential for long-term productive change to human society, there has always been a cost. Please don't get me wrong, I'm not here to tell you how wonderful life was in the Stone Age and how we ought to go back to the way things once were. Some of mankind's greatest achievements have had the same awe-inspiring potential as the wings created by the mythical Daedalus. It is important to remember that most achievements are tools. They provide opportunity, but the real challenge comes into play when implementing and controlling the long-term effects. All too often, when misapplied, results in many flying too close to the sun and being irrevocably damaged. The mythical wings given to Icarus were not the problem. They were a tool which, if applied appropriately, could have had tremendous benefit. But that tool became the end result unto itself. Flight was not used to achieve freedom, but for the self-indulgence of thrill-seeking. Rules were broken, 
and consequences were realized. Throughout the program, we'll be offering an exciting new resource, a DVD titled A World Gone Mad. This DVD gives an uncompromising look at the challenges facing mankind during this age and how our own nature has played a pivotal role in the madness we see around us. Have a pen and paper or your cell phone ready so you can call or order this important DVD online. Today's program is titled A World Held Captive. Mankind's achievements have not imprisoned us. However, there is a central theme in the story of Icarus, one that is at the very heart and essence of humanity that has prevented mankind from eradicating many scourges which have plagued us for millennia. Our own shortcomings and weaknesses have imprisoned mankind. Poverty, war, personal conflict, and corruption are as old as civilization itself. There has been no shortage of proposed solutions, some which even seem promising for a time and attain some level of success. However, greed, hatred, lust, and pride have been present throughout the history of man and have caused even the greatest achievements to have despicable side effects. They have become, it seems, a part of our nature. The realization of this fact comes with two possible outcomes. We can allow our nature to control us, to deceive us into thinking we can control what will ultimately harm us and those around us, or we can recognize that we need a source greater than ourselves to set limits on what should and should not be done. Throughout man's history, we have tried to take this task upon ourselves, and we have been left trying to escape the consequences of our actions. Consider technology as a whole. It would be impossible to argue the tremendous benefits it has brought us. Historically, technological advancement has always come at the price of more devastating methods of warfare. Consider this note on the relationship with technology and warfare from the Foreign Policy Research Institute. Military technology often seems to be the dark side of innovation. The Mr. Hyde roaming the back alleys of civilization for opportunities to work his worst on society. Countless inventors and innovators, Alfred Nobel to Robert Boyle, thought of weapons positively. They believed that they could banish the scourge of war or at least restrain its excesses if they could only invent the ultimate weapon, the instrument so horrible that no one would dare use it. While the wars of recent decades have been fought with enough of a power imbalance to render the worst of our weaponry unnecessary, would anyone doubt that the next war would have the potential to set back any advances technology has brought? As one famous quote often attributed to Albert Einstein reads, I know not with what weapons World War III will be fought, but World War IV will be fought with sticks and stones. We live in an information age. Never before has so much knowledge been at the fingertips of so many. Yet would any describe our society as well-informed? Instead, information has been weaponized and promoted only when it fits the narrative. Facts are thrown by the wayside when they don't support the greater truth as defined by whomever it is controlling that information. It is not only the media corporations and other massive entities that are guilty of mishandling or misrepresenting information. With such an abundance of information available to us, it is all too easy to make up our mind on a topic and then find the sources to back you up. Want to believe that obesity doesn't adversely affect your health and that all evidence to the contrary is strictly propaganda out to keep you from being happy? You can find sources to support your claim. Want to believe that Prince Charles is a vampire, that the moon doesn't exist, 
or that Stonehenge, the pyramids, and Machu Picchu were built by aliens? You can find all the supposed evidence you need to assert your claim. Of course, those are outrageous ideas. But what about when you come across a decision that actually has an impact on your life, and one for which the correct answer isn't immediately clear? There can be so much information on every side that it can be impossible to find anything. And all too often, we wind up gravitating towards a decision that we intuitively thought was the correct one to begin with. Even with the best of intentions, we are restricted by our own ability to find the right answers. If we could narrow down all of the possible options and identify the right path, there's no telling what mankind could accomplish. If we could create without worrying that those innovations would be used for more efficient tools of warfare, what advancements could we realize? Why is it that with each step forward, man is faced with unintended consequences? How does this relate to our inability to handle the current state of information overload? When we come back, we'll look at a single decision that has been repeated countless times through history. It's one that I would imagine everyone watching has made at one point or another. I know I have. It's a decision that has consequences. Those consequences explain all that is wrong with the world around us. Order your free copy of A World Gone Mad to see just what the results of this decision look like. Welcome back to Tomorrow's World. I do hope you'll take us up on our offer and order your free copy of A World Gone Mad. The world truly does appear to have gone mad. Sadly, much of what we see is the end result of man's desire to seek freedom by casting off restraint. It is nothing new, but seems to be reaching a boiling point which will have unavoidable consequences. When Icarus felt himself ascending above the ground, with the wind on his face, he must have felt incredible. Having been imprisoned, this taste of freedom must have been a rush he had never before experienced. Unfortunately, the joys of flight caused his father's warning to fade away as he pressed higher and higher. Of course, there is another ancient story, though this one is not a myth, which is found in the Bible and identifies the root problem that caused Icarus to fall. The book of Genesis gives the account of the creation of mankind. The first humans were placed in a magnificent garden which far surpassed anything you or I have seen. They were given the task of maintaining the garden and given free reign to explore. There was, however, one important restriction of which we are told. The Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the Lord commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in that day that you eat of it you shall surely die. This seems like a good deal. First, Adam is given life. Then he's given a beautiful dwelling, a sense of purpose, and all the resources he could need. To top it off, in the next few verses, he's also given the perfect companion. But there was a rule to follow. One could hardly describe the garden as a prison, but there was a code of conduct Adam was expected to abide by. The next chapter tells how Satan twisted the truth to make that forbidden fruit even more appealing to Adam's wife, Eve. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. 
And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Notice that the initial point raised by Satan essentially asks if they have any restrictions on them at all. The woman replied that there was in fact a rule that they had to observe. Satan immediately questioned it. You will not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Satan directly contradicted God. He then went on to proclaim that eating the fruit would make them wise like God. Her response shows the commitment and decision she took upon herself when eating the fruit. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Unless any try and argue that Eve tricked Adam into eating the fruit, Paul clarifies that while Eve was deceived by Satan, Adam knew exactly what he was doing and ate anyway. Paul recorded for us, Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. Now imagine yourself in their shoes. We can be given the world, but once we are told something is beyond our reach, does it not seem that much sweeter? We don't know how much time had passed, but Eve must have already eaten from many of the other trees, and the result was not death. When Satan told her that she would not die from this fruit, she wanted it to be true. She immediately began to see the fruit in a different light. Why shouldn't she eat of it? None of the other fruit had hurt her, and this fruit looked just as good. She couldn't find a single flaw. It was appealing. Satan offered her what has been an anchor around mankind ever since. He offered her the ability to choose right from wrong for herself. He offered her what most would call freedom from this oppressive and nonsensical law that had been put on her without her consent. Eve didn't value the way of life that she rejected. We'll come back to that later, but for now, let's focus on what she did choose. If Adam and Eve were alive today, they would be praised for living their own truth, for forging their own path, or doing it their way. Today, mankind is a little more open about it than in the past, but choosing our own morality is nothing new. One major flaw with this line of thinking is that while we like to think we are wise judges and are able to remain objective in any circumstance, this does not align with reality. How often have you talked yourself into something that you knew would not be good for you in the long run? Eve focused on the pleasantness of the fruit. Now consider Moses. The book of Hebrews describes what must have been an extremely challenging time for Moses. He had been raised in the palace in Egypt and was granted every luxury available at that time. But when he saw the plight of his people, he rejected luxury in favor of a far more difficult path. By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. The passing pleasures of sin. Sin refers to that which is contrary to God's law. Those things that we all too often decide are right, even though God declares otherwise. Sin can be pleasurable, otherwise few would choose it. Eve likely would not have been tempted had the fruit stank and been infested with maggots. The problem is that actions have consequences, causes have effects, 
and God's law was given for a reason. What seems good to you may result in the person next to you going without. What gives you pleasure for a time may end in unthinkable heartache. When we choose for ourselves right from wrong, we are held captive to our own desires, our own greed, our own hatred, and our own lust. Those facets of human nature for which mankind has yet to devise a cure. When I come back, we'll discuss how choosing right from wrong for ourselves has brought mankind into bondage, how the world is held captive by sin. Before that, I'd like to encourage you to pick up the phone and call us to ask about receiving your free copy of A World Gone Mad. If you want to hear a detailed account of what happens when man chooses for himself right from wrong, then order now. Welcome back. I'm glad you're still with us. Today we've asked the question of what is preventing mankind from ultimately succeeding. There have been tremendous accomplishments and advancements made by man, yet we are still plagued with many of the same conflicts and moral problems we faced thousands of years ago. These problems are rooted in a single decision. This decision is best illustrated through the example of Adam and Eve, but if we carefully examine ourselves, it likely isn't too hard to find that we have made the same decision at one time or another. At first glance, choosing for ourselves what is right from what is wrong sounds like freedom. Yet it is the thesis of this program that the decision to become arbiters of our own morality has in fact led to a world held in captivity. Jesus had a fascinating discussion with the Pharisees on the concept of freedom and sin. He began by revealing the true path to freedom. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. We'll come back to this concept before the close of this program, but let's now look at the Pharisees' response. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? This statement itself is laughable. When I hear this, I always picture a group of Roman soldiers marching past just as they uttered these words. They were being governed by a foreign power at that very moment. Not only that, a major part of the Israelite identity was that they had been slaves in Egypt before being freed by God. Jesus could have pointed out either of these truths in response. However, he chose to highlight the greater form of bondage with which they were afflicted. Jesus answered them, Most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. Paul explained in his epistle to the Romans, that we are slaves to whatever decision-making mechanism we choose. Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one's slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? Sin and addiction are two very interconnected concepts, and addiction provides a window into one way in which sin is equated with slavery. Picture someone in the grips of addiction. Does that look like freedom? It's true that they aren't letting anyone else tell them what to do, but it is also true that I can stop any time I want is one of the most oft-repeated lies known to man. Moreover, even if we are not addicted to a particular sin, we are still subject to its consequences. When we choose to sin, we are making a decision which has repercussions that are not easily escaped. The Bible is clear that choosing the way of sin is ultimately choosing the way of death. This was the lie wrought by the serpent in the garden. Satan told Eve that choosing right from wrong for herself would not result in the penalty of sin. We sometimes read the text and, 
when we see that she was not immediately struck by lightning, conclude that Satan was right. He was not right. She did not drop dead that day, but her death was now a foregone conclusion. She had brought the death penalty upon herself, as Romans 6.23 confirms, for the wages of sin is death. The damage was not immediately apparent. Had she been struck by lightning, it is unlikely that Adam would have followed in her footsteps. Unfortunately, with sin, the repercussions are often delayed enough that by the time they are apparent, it is too late. Such was the case for the mythical figure Icarus. As he spread his wings, enjoying what surely felt like boundless freedom, he must have had many thoughts going through his mind. His father's warning was drowned out by the thought that surely he would be able to recognize when the sun was getting too hot. He would feel the wax begin to melt. He would sense when he was too close and then descend safely. His dad was being too conservative and was holding him back. He could soar just a little higher. He didn't even notice that there was a problem until it was too late, and it cost him his life. Far too often we do things we know we shouldn't because we tell ourselves the lie that we can always turn back when we need to, that we can recognize when something has gone too far, that we know and can decide for ourselves what is right and what is wrong. Had Icarus listened to his father, he could have enjoyed the gift of flight and ultimately would have landed on the shore securing his freedom. He chose for himself. He chose poorly. How does God's law provide freedom? How would his laws prevent the troubles that have plagued mankind for the entirety of our existence? The Ten Commandments can be summarized by two central points. Jesus explains this in Matthew 22. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. That is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Lest anyone try and argue that this was replacing the law given in the Old Testament, please realize that he was quoting from Deuteronomy and Leviticus. Greed, hatred, lust, and corruption have become part of man's nature. It is a nature that must be overcome. They are no less a part of our nature than was the desire to enjoy the newly given gift of flight for Icarus. He was instructed not to cave into that aspect of his nature. The challenge that God has put forth for mankind is to overcome our nature and put on his nature by developing his character and recognizing that he is the arbiter of right and wrong, not us. Ancient King Solomon recognized the disaster of trying to chart our own path. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. This scripture is easy to accept on behalf of others. The challenge is to read it and realize that it is talking about you and me. We cannot trick ourselves into thinking that we are exceptions to this rule. Ultimately, this world lacks direction and leadership. It has rejected the law which leads to freedom. It has rejected the concept of law beyond everyone choosing their own law. The result is a world that is held captive, a world in which no achievement can remain untainted by those whose nature is to believe that they know what's best for everyone. Individually, all have sinned and brought the death penalty upon themselves, another aspect of bondage that we do not have the ability to get ourselves out of. The Bible tells of a time when righteous government will be restored and the world will turn to seek its creator. We will be freed, 
but there is a cost. A ransom must be paid in order to break the bondage of sin. Jesus spoke of how man ought to treat each other and revealed that his life would be the ransom needed for our freedom. Jesus called them to himself and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who are great exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. The opportunity has come where you can be freed from the death penalty brought on by sin. You can escape the captivity which plagues the world. The ransom has already been paid. The question is how to respond. Icarus was given a majestic set of wings with which he could flee from captivity and reach freedom. However, at the first taste of freedom, he was overwhelmed by the lure of choosing his own way. The way to reach the shore was laid out before him. His father instructed him of the dangers and directed him to follow the path he would set. But Icarus decided that he knew better, that he could navigate the dangers of flight on his own. He didn't realize that he had flown too high until it was too late. Likewise, Adam and Eve were placed in a beautiful garden and given everything they could need. But when Eve looked at the fruit, she couldn't understand why God would keep her from tasting something that looked so good. There is freedom in recognizing that we do not always know what is best. Daedalus knew how best to use the wings because he was the one that created them. Perhaps if mankind has a creator, he knows better than us how life should be lived. The reward he promises if we follow his path is not a brief feeling of freedom that subsides when the novelty wears off or when the repercussions hit. His reward is true freedom if you are willing to pursue it. Today's offer shows the result of choosing right and wrong for ourselves. It illustrates a world held captive. Call and request your free copy of this eye-opening resource.